Welcome to episode 189. I'm Stuart McCullough, the CEO of VHAA. For this week's podcast, we have a special guest. It's Senior Industrial Officer Megan Ree from the AMF. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. Sometimes we have a very confusing clue at this point, but I think today we will uh, we'll cut straight to the chase. We're going to be talking about the uh, Best Practice Flexible Working Arrangements uh, Guide. So to start at the beginning, Megan, uh, how did we get here? It's a good place to start at the beginning, Stuart. Um, the BPEC, or Best Practice Employment Commitment, commits us, the AMF and VHAA, on behalf of our members to implementing a best practice guide to address flexible working arrangements and potential equity issues arising in association with them. So here we are. Here we are indeed. So the, the, the BPEC, um, uh, from my perspective, I guess, is a bit of a replacement for, for the SDPPWG. The agreement has a clause, it talks about a, a range of subjects, and, and this is just one of those subjects that's going to be covered uh, by, by clause 81. Are there a couple of other subjects um, that are worth mentioning as part of, uh, of that clause 81 for the BPEC? Yeah, there are, Stuart. It gives us, I mean, the BPEC gives us an opportunity to sit the AMF and the VHIA and the Department of Health to sit and discuss issues relating to the agreement broadly. So this is one of them, the flexible working arrangements. Um, but also we could talk broadly about implementation of the agreement, um, legislative requirements to undertake gender equity activities, um, frameworks for distributing, considering and implementing the outcomes of the bullying related trials conducting within six health services. Um, the agreed frameworks for publishing the outcomes of the We Care initiatives that involves a tap out system for stressful situations and staff sensory rooms. Um, it's quite it's quite a long list um, in section 81. Um, consolidation of major agreement provisions to reduce complexity and inefficiencies within the public health system, aged care staffing arrangements, remote location incentivization schemes um, and template change impact statements. I suspect we're not going to run out of things to talk about. Uh, I, I suspect uh, the same over the next few years. But for those people who um, uh, want to follow uh, the things that we're covering today, they, they can find the Best Practice Flexible Working Arrangement Guide in Bulletin 2657. Part one, about flexible working arrangements. So that brings us to the guide itself. Yeah, the guide, um, the guide starts with some general information about flexible working arrangements. They're not new. Um, so many people access flexible working options, including how, when and where work is performed. And these arrangements are sometimes documented, but they're not always documented. Uh, over time, there have been important developments, and your listeners will know this, when it comes to flexible work arrangements. I think that's a really important point, that the best practice guide isn't about introducing a new entitlement, but about navigating and supporting an existing entitlement. That's right. And part one of the guide highlights the relevance of flexible working arrangements to gender equality. Um, so flexible working arrangements also, your listeners will understand this, support gender equality. They're one, me one means by which we can support um, participation and inclusion in the workforce and achieve greater diversity. Um, they reduce discrimination for employees with family and caring responsibilities and other protected attributes. I think there's also a key point about the fact that 
This space may not be new, uh, but it is developing and that approaching this issue the same way you might have approached it two or five or, or 10 years ago should be avoided. Yeah, absolutely. And flexible work arrangements might require a break from tradition um, just because a particular role has only been performed uh, by a full-time employee is not of itself a reason to request um, a reason to refuse a request for part-time work and we need to keep an open mind to different options that may be available to employees to enable them to balance um, a particular attribute that they have um, with their work um, as well. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are two other elements that the introduction touches on. The first is the need to consider the reasonable business needs of the employer. That's right, and this reflects the Fair Work Act requirement, um, notably that reasonable business grounds are the only grounds on which a request for, for a flexible working arrangement can be refused. And the introduction also goes uh, to the key challenge for our sector in terms of, of demand and managing that demand in a way that's equitable. Yeah, right. And in workplaces with a high demand for flexible work arrangements, it becomes necessary to consider how these can be managed equitably across the workforce and transparently, um, providing fairness to all employees rather than to rather than to some, um, or on a first come first serve basis that excludes others from accessing flexible work arrangements where they need them. Part two, the Fair Work Act. Uh, before we go any further, we should unpack what we mean by a flexible working arrangement. Um, well, a good place to start for that, uh, Stuart, is Clause 16 of yes. our agreement. Uh, and which reflects uh, Section 65 of the Fair Work Act, but the clause also has some additions which we're, we'll address at Part 3. So flexible working arrangements are available to specified employees in specified circumstances, which leads to the obvious question, Megan, who is a specified employee? Well, a specified employee is a full-time or part-time employee with at least 12 months continuous service and in the case of long-term casual employee one has reasonable expectation of continuing employment by the employer on a regular and systematic basis. I suspect you're going to see this question coming. Uh, what are the specified circumstances? Well, the specified circumstances are if the employee, there's several and I'll go through them, is a parent or has the responsibility for the care of a child who's school age or younger, um, is a carer within the meaning of the Carer Recognition Act 2010, caring for someone who has a disability, a medical condition, a mental illness, is frail or aged, um, an employee who has a disability, is 55 years or older, is, violent, is experiencing violence from a member of the employee's family, or provides care or support to a member of the employee's immediate family who requires care or support because the member is experiencing violence or abuse from the member's family. So there's two tiers to that second family and domestic violence um, attribute. Uh, it's worth noting, I think people sometimes forget that this is this provision is relevant to, to circumstances where people might return from, from a period of parental leave and, and want to return on a part-time basis. Um, just in terms of what an employee needs to do to make that request, um, they need to make that request in writing? Uh, they do. The request should detail the change that the employee seeks and the reasons for the change. So the request needs to set out the details of the change sort and the reasons for the change sort. So that's what an employee must do. What must the employer do? Well, the employer is required to respond in writing within 21 days, advising whether the change is agreed or refused. So just in terms of that refusal, um, does the reason for that refusal need to be identified? It sure does. 
Um, so they've got to put in the details for that refusal. It can't just simply be a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yeah, that's that's right, Stuart. Yep. So um, reasons for the refusal and unpacking the reasonable business grounds, um, if indeed the refusal, you know, the, the reason for the refusal should be unpacked in that way within the framework of the reasonable business grounds. Well, that does bring us to that point of, of reasonable business grounds. And I heard you make that point earlier that uh, the request can only be refused on reasonable business grounds. Um, so what does reasonable business grounds mean? Well, it's probably an easier concept to describe by example, as opposed to, um, you know, sort of a dictionary definition. That's not something that really exists. Um, some examples, I guess, that we've, we've probably both seen um, in the course of our work are things like the cost of the arrangement, that it's too costly to implement the flexible work arrangement that's being sought um, by the employee. Or, for example, it will require changes to someone else's work arrangement um, that's not reasonable and can't be done. Um, another possible example may be that, um, you know, it requires a change to the working arrangements of others or it requires additional recruitment um, to enable the flexible work arrangement to be made, which is not reasonable or potentially impractical. Um, other ones that are, I guess, broad are things like um, that the request or the flexible change that's being sought um, would result in, say, significant loss in efficiency or productivity um, or a negative impact on customer service. These are sort of the broad categories of things that we probably see most commonly within the scheme of reasonable business grounds. It's interesting hearing you go through that and the role that a word like significant has. Mm. So it's not not simply a case that there is some change, but that the, the change, you know, the loss is significant uh, in terms of efficiency or, or the negative impact is significant, not that there is any change at all. I think that's right, Stuart, and that's a really important point, is when we're talking about flexible work arrangements and the way in which um, things have changed in mm -hmm. our workplaces um, and our conception about flexibility and um, you know, individuals coming with a particular attribute and needing to balance these things with their work, we do have to think outside our traditional mind space. Um, some things may feel slightly inconvenient because we haven't done them before, but that's not a reason to not um, to not agree to a flexible working around arrangement. It's it is that significant impost um, or that it is unreasonable within within the business scheme. Absolutely. Part three in our agreement. Part yes. three of the best practice guide identifies additions that the agreement, uh, the agreement clause makes to the NAS. That's right. So we do have um, a few additions. Um, so in addition to the Act, the agreement entitles um, the employee or employer to meet with the other to discuss the request, um, alternatives to the, the request or reasons for refusal on reasonable business grounds. So if, for example, there's been a refusal, what might be the point of a, of a meeting like that? Well, I think the point of those meetings is to see whether you can get to um, an outcome that's not simply a no. Mm. Um, it may be that the request can be modified um, to meet the, meet the requirements of both the employee and the employer, um, meet the interests of each in a slightly different way to that which has been requested originally. I think that's a good point. Uh, there's usually a better answer than no. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Part four, what does flexible work mean? 
So part four of the guide gives examples of what flexible work, uh, work arrangements could mean. Uh, and these are by no means exhaustive, but they do give some idea of the kinds of things that could be the basis for a flexible work arrangement. Uh, look, there's, an, I think, probably an infinite number of examples that we could give, Stuart. It depends on people's creativity, doesn't it? And, and the way in which they work and the way in which they need to run their personal life um, with respect to the particular reason why they're seeking a flexible work arrangement. But probably some of the more common ones that we see are requests for flexible hours of work, and that might be a variation to the start and or finishing time. Um, another one may be a compressed working week where um, the, the employee is a full-time staff member, but they compress those hours um, into a four-day week, for example. Um, there may be a time in lieu arrangement where some additional hours are worked, um, were approved, but then um, compensated by time in lieu, which is taken at a particular agreed point. Um, and likewise, um, different requests for a change of location. And we, I think, um, are seeing that now um, in, you know, probably non-forward facing roles where people are requesting more and more requests for working remotely um, where that's possible and can meet the needs of the organisation. Yes, I think everybody's thinking about that subject has changed in the past 12 months, that would be fair yes. to say. Uh, are there other examples that people might want to keep in mind? Um, there are, yeah. So there's, there's, you know, I, I think we touched on this earlier, um, the very common example for um, that it happens quite often where people are coming back from parental leave, um, seeking a part-time work arrangement or a reduction in hours for a period of time while they're balancing um, caring responsibilities and work. That's a very common one that we see. Um, likewise, things like a roster arrangement, um, whether it be, you know, differing shift lengths or starting and finishing times. Um, of course, and I have to say this, ensuring compliance with um, the SPC Act and the EBA, everyone would expect me to say that, um, and so I will. Um, also, of course, we see requests for job sharing arrangements where a traditional full-time role can be shared by two or more people on occasion, um, where the role itself remains a single role, but two people can work it and work it part time. Um, there are also some other examples, things like purchased leave, where um, employees may seek some additional leave arrangements and agreement about when those leave arrangements are used um, to accommodate um, you know, the reasons why they're seeking a flexible work arrangement. And likewise, things like flexible use of leave. Um, and we do see this quite commonly where we have a transition to retirement um, situations where there may be a reduction of hours of work, but we maintain the quantum or you know the accrual of something like long service leave um, for that pre-flexible working arrangement period to enable the transition to retirement to occur in a smooth manner. Um, and things like um, you know having some sort of whole career ideas and flexible careers. Um, someone described this to me once as um, hopping on and off the merry-go-round. I'm not sure whether that's um, a good analogy or not, but you know there will be times in your life where you're working in your career at different paces, um, at full time or part time or in different roles, and flexibility can play a part in that across a career. And it's worth noting, I think, that those things that they can be elements of a flexible working arrangement, but they they may also happen independently of a flexible working arrangement. Yeah, that's absolutely right. 
So what roles, uh, what role can the review of time specific arrangements play in, in balancing, getting that balance between flexibility and, and equity within the workplace? Well, I think, Stuart, it, it, it can meet the needs of, of both parties very well to provide that kind of constant and that dynamic review process. Um, needs change um, with employees, for sure, um, and you can take take that change of need into account across a review period. The other reason why um, it's, a, it's a positive aspect of a flexible work arrangement is that it allows the context in which the flexible work arrangement has been agreed to be reviewed um, and allows a new entrance to the workplace or people whose circumstances have changed who aren't, who haven't sought a flexible work arrangement as yet to do so um, with a level of equity across the workforce. Uh, for me, so we've tried to capture that in the best practice guide and puts it this way, that flexible work arrangements should be actively managed, taking into account the needs of everyone in the workplace. It would be inequitable to deny new entrants to a work environment or employees whose circumstances have changed access to flexible working arrangements because others got there first. Equity is an ongoing consideration that takes into account all the circumstances. Part five, benefits for the employer. So flexible working arrangements are sometimes thought about solely as an employee benefit, but part five of the guide sets out some of the benefits for employers, which include uh, direct labour productivity, retention, recruitment, and a reduction in absenteeism. And I think we'll bring up an address uh, up on screen. If you're interested in finding out more about the benefits uh, for employers, you can look at that report from the NAUS group. Uh, but Megan, what are some of the other reasons for supporting flexibility? Um, well, I think we've touched on this a little bit, Stuart, but I just really do want to confirm they are um, vital in, in many respects. Um, as gender roles are changing, as we have more um, families with um, two parents working, um, we can avoid gender assumptions and we can, um, you know, really, really improve our ability um, to provide appropriate participation um, for employees with family responsibilities and those approaching retirement. We can extend careers, we can, you know, maximise um, our workforce capacity by providing appropriate flexible working arrangements that support people's ability to guess, have, have an appropriate balance on both sides of the ledger, personal and work. Um, and that's a really, really important um, thing for us to be able to do. That, that point about participation uh, for me is, is, is always one that stands out. Absolutely. Um, we know that people leave um, employment or change employment if, if these sorts of flexibilities can't be provided appropriately. Um, and even from, uh, I would say, a morale and productivity perspective, there are huge benefits um, in working with employees to achieve you know, appropriately balanced flexible work arrangements. Part six, operating guidelines for flexible work. So we've identified the circumstances where someone is entitled to request a flexible working arrangement, but does that stop others from asking? Stuart, the first rule of unionism is if you don't ask, you don't get. So <laughs> um, that, anyone's able one. to ask for any reason. Um, it's just that some employees have an entitlement to ask. And where you have an entitlement, um, the refusal can only be one that is based on reasonable business grounds. For the other asks, um, there's no such, um, I guess, limitation with respect to refusal. But one would hope that any ask would be viewed 
um, through a fairly positive lens for all of those reasons that we talked about, the positives of flexible work arrangements. Part seven, successfully implementing flexible working arrangements. Uh, so this part of the guide makes the point that flexible working arrangements are about more than flexibility by one person, but includes flexibility by managers, individual employees, uh, team members, and the willingness to change when circumstances change. That's that's right. It's a, um, it's a whole team effort, isn't it? Flexible work arrangements and making them work um, well. Um, managers and employees should keep in mind, you know, particular barriers and benefits to flexible working arrangement. Um, that a combination of different options can be used. You can employ creativity to achieve the same interest, but with a different package of flexibility. Um, and of course, that will depend on considering, you know, the impact on a surface area or how others will be impacted by a particular work arrangement that's being sought. So yeah, there's a range of a range of issues. I think there's a role though too for leaders in, in, mm -hmm. in sort of challenging negative or outdated views regarding the ideal employee. Absolutely, Stuart, absolutely. I mean, modern um, modern working roles um, and modelling by managers is really, really important. And I think we need to ensure that um, that employees have equal access to career development opportunities, whether um, no, no matter what, you know, flexible work arrangement or otherwise, they, they have sought and are working. Because this area is one of those areas that's been developing, I think there's that challenge or that interesting point for managers about how to create an environment that supports flexibility. I think really it comes down to having an open mind mm. um, and considering how the work can be undertaken in different ways um, that supports your employees as well as the service area and the work that needs to be delivered. Um, you know, our traditional conception of productivity and KPIs that are all about just one side of the ledger that I've described before about the work, um, we're a little bit more dynamic than that, I think, um, or we should be in our modern in our modern employment relationship. You know, the, we each come to our employment relationship with a particular personal life and particular circumstances. Um, and if our managers are, have an open mind and accept that's, that's the case, then you can think outside the box and think about how best to support an employee um, who comes to you seeking a flexible work arrangement to achieve to achieve the aims. Um, we talked about that sort of mandated discussion that's in our agreement or, you know, the option for a discussion in the agreement. Um, and that's an important step um, in trying to find creative options if a flexible work arrangement that's been request requested doesn't quite fit for a particular reason, um, you know, needs to be refused for a reasonable business ground. But there are other ways in which um, that employee's needs can be met and, you know, and the, and the service is achieved. It's interesting that that, um, that creativity comes from comes from a process of engagement, um, just in terms of the role that an employee's colleagues might have in terms of supporting flexible working arrangements. Look, I think other employees also play a vital role um, in ensuring the successful implementation of flexible working arrangements. Um, I think there needs to be a broad understanding um, of the entitlement. It's a very positive thing that it's in our agreement, um, both employers and employees, there's a level of transparency and they understand that this entitlement exists. Um, and that's important. And it's important that um, employees understand why people are making it um, and how 
and and what the employer is considering when they are granting a flexible work arrangement, because it is something that should be supported by everyone um, with an understanding that if an individual does have a set of circumstances, they too can make a request for a flexible working arrangement. Absolutely. And as for the employee who's the subject of that flexible working arrangement, they also have a critical role in ensuring that the arrangement is, is successfully implemented. Yeah, they do, Stuart. Um, it's just like all of us who you know undertake work, whether we have a flexible working arrangement or not, you want to maintain a you know a, a, a dialogue and ongoing communication engagement, um, including in any kind of regular review and assessment um, to ensure that the arrangement that's reached remains beneficial. Part eight: compliance with the legislation. So we focused on the Fair Work Act for this discussion, but it's, it has to be noted uh, that it's not the only relevant piece of legislation here. Yeah, no, that's really important. Um, obviously, the Equal Opportunity Act um, 2010 is also relevant. Um, it determines that it's unlawful to discriminate against a person because of certain attributes, um, such as parental status or status as, as a carer, amongst others. And the Equal Opportunity Act applies not just to employees, but also to, to job applicants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it also provides that an employer um, mustn't unreasonably refuse to accommodate uh, responsibilities that the employee has as a parent or carer um, or provide reasonable adjustments for someone um, with a disability. Um, and there are occupational health and safety considerations as well? There are indeed the Occupational Health and Safety Act 2004, sections 21 and 22, um, set out the employer's duties um, to employees, including a safe working environment um, and monitoring the health of employees. So that's very important too. And the, the Commonwealth also has some legislation in this space as well. It does. So we have another layer of legislation there with the Sex Discrimination Act 1984 and the Disability Discrimination Act 1992. That might have um, to be another podcast. It, it could be. Um, we're, we're, we're very supportive of sequels. Uh, <laughs> um, there are some public sector employment principles that are set out in the public uh, in the Public Administration Act uh, that I think are worth bearing in mind as well. Yeah, that's right. So um, in that act, it includes, you know, fair and reasonable treatment of employees and equal opportunity, equal employment opportunity and also recognition of human rights. So just to, for, for people who are watching and listening, the best practice guide for flexible working arrangements is attached to bulletin 2657. It can be accessed through the VHA website. And once the agreement is approved, it will be placed on the agreement landing page, along with any other implementation material that might be developed. Megan, thank you so much for, for spending this afternoon going through those items with us. Much appreciated. Thanks, Stuart. VHA.